right, so uh, let me start with just a little introduction sort of what, what's going on. Um, so we're taking a break from the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're going to come back to it this summer and, and finish off those remaining chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith. So we're not ignoring the last section. We're just taking a little pause. Um, and uh, we're taking a little pause uh, mainly because I, I wanted to um, spend some time this spring or winter and spring, sorry, spring is a long way off. Uh, I, I think in semester terms, in a spring semester, even though there's snow and ice on the ground. Um, but um, to start the new year, um, thinking about the pastoral epistles. Um, uh, the pastoral epistles are a group of, of letters written by Paul, um, and they're unlike other letters of Paul in that they're not addressed to churches, but they're addressed to individuals, um, Timothy and Titus, um, two um, men um, who are co-servants with Paul, fellow pastors, and he's writing to them. And the pastoral epistles are great because um, we can sort of think of them as uh, passing on pastoral instruction and advice from one generation to another. So here we have the Apostle Paul passing on to these uh, younger ministers, um, what it, it, what needs are in their congregations, how they uh, need to be encouraged to faithfully serve. And it struck me that um, as I was reading through these epistles last fall, that these epistles would be great for us to think about um, as we're in the process of selecting uh, a new senior pastor for our congregation. So as you see Paul writing to these young men, these letters are, are filled with the characteristics of what a good pastor is like. Um, we'll see, uh, even in the passage we'll be looking at this morning, false teachers and um, people who are interested in other things. Um, and Paul wants to focus Timothy and Titus on what a, a true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like. And so I thought... Um, this would be a great opportunity to work through um, um, uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus together um, as we're in the process of thinking about and, and uh, who we want to be our next pastor. So that's kind of the rationale and the idea uh, behind what's, what we're doing this spring. Um, so I'm not going to give a whole lot of introductory uh, um, details. We'll come up against introductory matters as we go through um, the epistles. Um, I, I will say that um, you know one of the things that I, I think will strike us um, about these letters as we go through is that they're they're different from from Paul's other writings. That they have a certain unity. So even though um, they're written on uh, different occasions to Timothy, two different occasions to First and Second Timothy and Titus, a different person. They have sort of a unity of theme and topic, and so um, it's nice to sort of study them all uh, as a whole, even though each individual book has its own specific focus. We'll see some kind of repeated elements as we go through. Um, there are details um, in the book. It, they're really hard to sort of, like if you're, you know, Maybe one of the questions, well, where do these letters fall and say Book of Acts? Um, it's really hard to place the letters specifically uh, with the narrative we have in Book of Acts. Most people would say that um, all three letters were written um, post-Acts. Um, so um, uh, in, if you remember in Acts, Paul's about to get out of prison at the end, and most people think that these letters come um, after that that period, um, and we can talk about some of the reasons why that is. Um, mainly, it's, it's really hard to sort of take the specific details in the letter and match them to a specific point in Acts. So just to give you an example of, of that kind of, like in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And in the book of Acts, we see a period where Paul is leaving Ephesus, going to Macedonia, but in Acts, um, Timothy went ahead of him um, 
So Timothy goes to Macedonia first. He's not staying behind in Ephesus. And so that's why we can't, even though we have a place specific passage in Acts where Paul is leaving Ephesus and going to Macedonia, um, this doesn't seem to be that moment because um, in the book of Timothy, um, Timothy's staying behind, um, and Paul wants Timothy to stay behind and take charge over uh, things going on in Ephesus, where in the book of Acts, he's sending Timothy ahead of him. So just to give that an example of why it's difficult to sort of map um, the pastoral epistles in specific places. Um, so most people, um, well, most evangelicals, would say that if you're looking for the date, it's in between Paul's first and second in imprisonment. Um, and that uh, Second Timothy, he's writing Second Timothy um, with, uh, when he's imprisoned and, and doesn't have much likelihood of, of, of getting out. Um, so um, anyway, just that's a word of interest. Um, so we're going to go through um, not quite a chapter a week, a little smaller section this time, the way I've kind of blocked it out in my head. Um, but sometimes a chapter a week, sometimes a little less than a chapter a week. Um, so I want to start today um, with verses 1 through 11, the, the introduction to the letter. Um, and I think uh, this will be a good place to start um, just because it gives us kind of a, we can talk about who these people are, what's their relationship to one another, and what's the situation in the church of Ephesus that, um, that causes Paul to write. So um, let me read for us um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I am entrusted. So um, to start, um, what can you tell from this letter's greetings? Um, what, what strikes you as you look at how Paul opens this letter? Um, what do we learn from this, this greeting um, that he gives? Yeah, that, so he's addressing him as, as a true son in the faith, that, and that there is this, um, as you say, there is this kind of mentor-mentee relationship. It's, it's demonstrating um, the relationship that exists between Paul and Timothy, and it's establishing a certain hierarchy in that. Um, but also, you know, as we think about that, the, the kind of um, tenderness, like, you know, he thinks of him as his son. Um, and he uses the, you know, again, sort of, um, why we group these letters together. He uses the exact same phrase to refer to Titus as well. So he's thinking of these young men um, as his sons in the faith. Uh, these are people that, um, that he has 
Um, I, I, I like that idea, mentors in the gospel. Good. What else? Um, so we, it's establishing some of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Yeah, and that um, it's establishing, yes, Paul, and notice he's using an apostle. He's not, he, he, he uses that, that title um, of a Paul, an apostle. So, you know, he's, he's giving his position of authority, but he's saying, I'm an authority, I'm an apostle only because of the will of, of Christ Jesus. So, um, and one of the things that comes through with the through the pastoral epistles is that it's giving a certain sort of order and structure to the church. You know, there's going to be things in these letters about, you know, the off the offices of the church. You know, what does it mean to be an elder? What does it mean to be a deacon? And sort of establishing what, you know, the kind of hierarchy or, you know, organization, flow chart of a church looks like. But he's starting it off, you know, all of that is subject to the will of Christ Jesus. Um, and as we look into, get into more of the book, um, or the books, and we see false teachers, um, we'll see often those false teachers are, where they're really going astray is they're forgetting that they are, you know, under the authority of Christ Jesus, that they're trying to hold themselves up as preeminent, you know, making claims about their own position and authority, whereas what matters most of all is Christ Jesus and our common hope in Christ Jesus. And that is the only reason, um, as we'll go through this first chapter, that Paul is an apostle. It's not by Paul's will that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's only because um, of, of Christ's calling of him. Yeah, that he, he's laying a charge on them. Um, he, he's giving them responsibility. Um, and in this case, he's giving Timothy um, responsibility over this church at Ephesus. I want you to stay there so you can deal with these things that are troubling um, the city and area around Ephesus. You know, um, uh, he, he's giving them charges. And, and again, one of the things we'll see as we go through the book is he'll give them these kind of um, trustworthy sayings, these little kind of pithy, um, you know, uh, summaries or charges, keep this, hold on to this, do this. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, of specific um, instruction about their responsibilities. And again, uh, this is, um, as we sort of think about, um, he's giving instructions on what, a, what these men, as they become not just pastors, but, you know, kind of pastors over big areas. Um, as, as we think about it, it's not just one single church in Ephesus. Um, it's churches in Ephesus that are, are being placed under Timothy's care, um, that he's going to be shepherding these, these, this, this city um, and what he needs to understand. And often, um, uh, while we're on this, we, we can make the mistake, I think, sometimes of thinking about Timothy as being young. Um, and he's, he's younger than Paul, but he's not like he's in his, you know, teenager, right? You know, he's a man. Um, so, and he's a man being given responsible, you know, significant responsibilities. And Paul um, wants to make sure that he understands the charge that's being laid upon him. Good. Other things? from these introductory verses that, that strike you. Um, so it's establishing Paul's authority as an apostle, but an apostle under Christ Jesus. Um, it's establishing his special relationship with Timothy, his son in the faith, um, but a son who's being given responsibility. He's, he's being given charge over this particular area. Yeah, Frank. Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I think uh, I, I looked in a couple of places uh, where people talk about, 
And, and one of the things that, um, or why people think he's throwing that word true in there, is um, Paul is a Jew, Timothy is a Greek. Um, so, and the same with Titus. Um, Titus is a Greek as, as well. And it's establishing, um, so he's a true child. Even though he's a, you know, a, he's Greek, um, Timothy is circumcised. So, you know, at least, well, he's kind of half and half. Um, you know, he's got a Jewish mother, a Greek father, um, you know, but he is still a true child. So that's most people, um, at least most commentators I've looked at, um, talk about the, the true there is the idea um, that, you know, that he is, uh, even though he's Gentile and, and Paul's a Jew, they are, they are of one family. Um, that there is, you know, as Paul says in, in Galatians, you know, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile in the church. Uh, and then the other is, you know, you're a true child, um, you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, um, and there's this different teaching going on. So those are kind of the two ways I would say people um, ha have come up with this. And as we'll see, you know, he's, he's you know, how do we recognize the true from the false? I think will be one of those things. Um, how do we recognize a true teacher of the law from a false teacher of the law? How do we recognize the true doctrine from what um, the, the ESV translates it different doctrine? Other translation, translations have other doctrines. So how do we recognize the true from the other will be a theme um, in the book. Sorry if that's a little Did you read that for me? Yeah, so they are giving the circumstances, you know, introducing us to Timothy. So here you have this, this guy who he's, he's, he's got a Greek uh, unbelieving father. He's got a believing Jewish mother. And yet he's, he's well-spoken of. He is a true believer. Um, and then, and notice there, um, as we think of what a true son, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, um, Paul converted Timothy. Because, um, again, in that passage in Acts, it seems like Timothy is already um, known to the, to the brethren, um, has this reputation. But it speaks more to this kind of mentor-mentee relationship as they travel together and work together. Um, uh, Paul is instructing this younger man um, in what it means to minister uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, one other thing before we move on from the introduction, um, and this is kind of one of those, uh, you know, um, lots of people make arguments that clearly the pastoral epistles couldn't have been written by Paul because there's these differences between um, the pastoral epistles and other Paul's uh, letters. Um, I, I'm going to argue most of the differences um, are about the different context or different, like, um, he's going to address a congregation different than he's going to address a minister of the congregation. You know, someone he's worked with and close to, he doesn't have to go back and give rudimentary instruction and in things of the gospel. Like, um, as we see with, uh, if this was Corinthians, a letter to Corinth, Paul would, would, would spend time establishing principles and not just, you know, refuting false teachers. He'd use the false teaching as a chance to kind of give theology 101. Um, and I would say that's why that's not in the pastoral epistles, because he doesn't need to give Timothy theology 101. It's kind of like my um, sister's a nurse, um, and my mother um, has been in the hospital all week, and so, you know, getting texts from siblings about what's going on, and she sent me a text one day, and, you know, I had to write back, uh, uh, no speak uh, <laughs> medical ease, <laughs> translate please, you know. So she's giving me, you know, the doctor talk. And, you know, the doctors don't have to stop and explain what a mitocardial whatever is, you know. And But sh when she's explaining it to me, she's got to go, she's got to tell me what that means. So, but when she's talking with another, you know, with another medical professional, you know, they don't, 
you know, they're speaking their language. And there's a sense Paul doesn't have to stop to explain things to Timothy because they're both um, professional ministers the way that if he was addressing to a congregation, he would have to pause and explain it. Um, you know, and I think that um, is, is part of the difference. Um, one, he, he uses a different, one different greeting um, in, in this. He adds mercy to the normal Pauline salutation. Usually Paul in his other epistles says grace and peace. Here he throws in mercy. Um, I, I love differences, you know. <laughs> so I do. Why, why is that? So why do you think he would throw in the word mercy um, to his, his usual greeting? Okay, so maybe Timothy's going under hardship. So why would, um, yeah, what, what, what do we think of mercy? Um, you know, how, how is mercy different from grace and peace? So that he kind of needs this additional encouragement and, and mercy. I think. You know, there, I think you're right. There's something in the circumstances of what Timothy's dealing with that he needs this additional word of mercy. But you know, how's mercy different from grace and peace? You know, that, that he needs to throw in kind of additional words. Um. Okay. So yeah, so maybe he needs um, some kind of uh, encouragement, uh, you know, specifically like, um, don't worry. Um, and we'll see, you know, one of Timothy's characteristics uh, that'll come through uh, as we read First and Second Timothy is Timothy seems to be dealing with committing. Um, you know, Timothy doesn't have the same kind of, of boldness. Um, Timothy, um, yeah. Timothy needs a little, <laughs> you know, uh, Timothy, uh, Timothy's me. <laughs> he needs a little kick in the pants every now and then to, to get going. Not because Timothy is unfaithful, but he needs that oomph. Yeah, and, and, and to, to, to be a recipient of mercy and dispenser of mercy. And again, you know, one of the things I, I, I want to kind of us to come back to uh, repeatedly over the next couple of months is, again, how do we distinguish a true teacher from a false teacher and the quality of, of mercy? Um, you know, we'll see in this letter instructions about getting care to widows and orphans. Um, demonstrating, um, you know, the love of Christ. Um, and if a preacher of, we'll see in the first chapter, you know, someone's preaching the law and they're doing it in a way that is, is, is causing dissension and strife and hurting people rather than encouraging and building them up. You know, they're using the law in an unmerciful way, um, a merciless pitiless um, uh, application of the law toward people. Um, and that is not, <laughs> that's not the quality I want as pastor. <laughs> you know, that's not the quality of a true pastor of Jesus Christ. A true pastor of Jesus Christ always has um, this quality of, of, uh, of mercy. Um, another thing um, about this word mercy, um, if you were to read the Septuagint, um, I've been Someone told me this. <laughs> if we were to, to open up our Greek translation of the Old Testament, mercy is the word the translators use for, for, for loving kindness, for that covenant love, for hesed. Um, so, again, he's encouraging him in the, um, the merciful, covenant-keeping faithfulness of his covenant.
Yeah, and, and that's a good um, uh, poetic uh, description of what's the difference between grace and mercy. And mercy deals with the effects of sin. Uh, mercy's dealing with kind of the tangible um, reality of living in a broken world, whereas grace is dealing with the sin itself. You know, mercy is is the way that it's dealing with the the, the real effects of living in a, a broken world. And again, it's something that's coming through grace in the gospel, but it's dealing with the effects of sin, whereas grace is dealing with the sin itself. Um, kind of like the way, you know, um, the, the way that um, in our tradition we distinguish the different roles between deacons and elders, you know, um, the elders of your church are in charge with the kind of grace aspect, dispensing the gospel, making sure that we are this church um, theologically is, is always being pointed to Christ, dealing with people and, and their sin and administering the grace of God to that. Whereas deacons, um, in addition to handling kind of financial matters, you know, you take that deacon's offering, they're, they're dealing with the effects of living in a broken world where people have needs. Um, where people, you know, suffer, and they are tangibly dealing with um, um, some of that suffering um, in a broken world. They are ministers of mercy, uh, um, and, and you know, uh, as, as we think about the way that the deacon is is created in the Book of Acts, you know, that's the charge. You know, to sort of free the elders, to free the apostles, to to focus on the teaching. And they're dealing with the, the tangible effects of living in a broken world. And both are, are necessary parts of the church of Jesus Christ. And, and that's why we have both of those aspects. Um, you know, we're not just minds, we're bodies as well. Um, and and we, do, we don't just need internal change, but we need external help as well. Yeah, it's establishing, and I, I like the way you said it, you know, it's passing from one generation to another. Um, and as we look at the history of, you know, of any church, you know, that is where uh, the struggle is. You know, you might have a faithful generation, and then a couple generations down the road, you know, um, it, it's lost. And, and making sure that there is this consistency from generation to generation. And, and as you do that, what are the core principles? What are the core, again, the identifiers that mark uh, a faithful church? And it, I think you're absolutely right. This, he, he's holding up the sound gospel, but the gospel um, connected to love and mercy. Um, and, and as we'll see, you know, you, the law is good when it's used rightly. You know, in, in condemning these false teachers, he doesn't want to condemn the law itself. He wants to condemn the way they're using the law. And how do we know they're using the law wrongly? Because they're using it in, um, well, well, we'll get into that. But um, one of the ways is they're using it in this kind of merciless application to others. <laughs> Not a merciless application to themselves, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, comes with real drastic limits and strictures. Um, well, let's, um, since we're moving into the false teachers, uh, the, so, you know, has this greeting, it's established this relationship um, between a mentor and mentee um, from one generation of pastoral leaders to, to the next generation, um, and he's, he's cautioning them or charging um, Timothy um, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So um, so what would you say are the characteristics, at least in, in this first chapter, um, that set apart 
this different doctrine. I mean, sometimes we can use this. Uh, they don't agree with me. <laughs> and that doesn't seem to be called standard. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, what, what characterizes these false teachers as they're starting to show up here in First Timothy? <laughs> What's it for? <laughs> if it's not pointing us to, you know, if it's not um, pointing us to Christ, if it's not encouraging, building us up in faith, if it's not sharpening our tongues, if it's not purifying our hearts, um, it's, you know, it, we, some translations use the word, you know, um, vain speculation, you know, and, and the biblical use of vain, you know, is empty, you know. Um, it's it's they're they're giving you lots of 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 food, but it has no <laughs> um, no benefit. Um, kind of like uh, uh, I, I sometimes teach my students about swill milk. Y'all y'all heard swill milk? You know what swill milk is? <laughs> so swill milk um, was they would take um, well, they would feed cows things that had no nutritional benefit. So the milk was coming out with no nutritional benefit. Um, and it was actually would come out clear and smell bad. So they would add chalk to make it white. And they would add, um, I can't remember what um, chemical to, to cover up the bad odor. But, and then they go sell it, usually in poor neighborhoods um, in places like New York and Boston. Um, and that was swill milk, and children were, would die because they, even though they were drinking milk, um, the milk had no, yeah, it had no um, health <laughs> benefits. It didn't have any of those healthy characteristics, nutrients that milk is supposed to have. And I think that's a good way to sort of think of that. Even though they're they're dispensing something that looks like uh, sound teaching, has has none of the actual life-giving, life-sustaining characteristics of, of teaching. It's, it's empty. It's devoid. Yeah, it, rather than building people up, and this is, uh, you know, he's going to come back to this in chapter 6. He's going to spend a lot of time on how these people are creating dissensions in the church. Um, and rather than Unifying a community and love is causing divisions. Um, and some of the divisions, again, as we work through the book, is, is creating this sense of hierarchy, you know, that um, I'm, in the way it usually works. Uh, have you, has anybody ever seen, it's this funny thing called a Facebook translator? Um, you know, it takes, like, I went on vacation. Translation, I'm better than you. Here are pictures of my children. Translation, my children are better than yours. <laughs> you know, it, it's really funny. Um, but that's the way, you know, sometimes, you know, um, with instruction and, you know, the, the temptation for I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. I'm holier than you. I keep the law better than you. You know, creating this kind of ranking system within a church. Um, and as we'll see um, uh, next week when we get into the second half of this chapter, you know, Paul's going to invert this by saying, you know, rather our attitude, um, I'll just go ahead, we'll talk about it more next week, but I'll just read it. You know, the contrasting attitude is the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. You know, that's the kind of, <laughs> not that I'm better than you, that I'm worse than you, you know, and that's a totally different attitude for a Christian leader to have, to, to, to be conscious of their own sinfulness. And, and that's what he's reminding Timothy. You are a sinner in charge of other sinners. Rather than the situation, 
you're the person who's got it all together and, and you're perfectly law-keeping and just and your job is to slap down all those sinners around you. Um, and again, as we think about what kind of pastor we want, you know, we want, <laughs> we want the pastor who's conscious of himself being a sinner um, and, and sees the law applying to his own life and conscience. And then, you know, from that position, gently reminding us, <laughs> rather than being the one coming in, you know, slapping us with the law. Good. What else could we say about these these false teachers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they they're they're teaching, you know, kind of spewing what they you know, what they've heard and they have no understanding of it. And again, how do we know that they don't have any understanding? Because they don't live it. You know, as you see, again, particularly with this kind of the lawful use of the law, um, that they are not applying the law to themselves before they apply it to others. They don't see themselves as sinners. Um, They don't see themselves as needy. Um, And by not having their own hearts in that position, how can they really understand what it is to teach it to someone else? you know, they have to have that that understanding that they themselves are sinners who outside the righteousness of Jesus Christ stand in the wrath of God. Um, that is the position a pastor has to have. Um, you know, they talk a lot about this in the First Great Awakening in terms of um, the dangers of an unconverted minister. You know, how can they teach others? if they themselves have not uh, experienced the grace of God? How can they tell other people um, about the mercy of Jesus Christ if they don't see themselves as standing in need of that mercy? Isn't God happy to have me on his team? <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, there are a lot of parallels to the way we see um, Jesus dealing with the Pharisees in the Gospels. That, you know, they've created all these additional laws that they're laying on people to burden them, whereas they don't see themselves. Um, as standing in, in, in any position of need. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to throw the first stones at others. <laughs> um, but they don't think of themselves as uh, stone-worthy recipients. Um, and, and that's what makes them hypocrites, you know, that they, they see the, the speck in their neighbor's eye while ignoring the beam in their own. Yeah, or like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, all these I've kept since my youth. <laughs> like, easy, keep the law, easy enough. 
Um, and uh, a lot of people draw parallels between this passage, again, and those kinds of passages in the New Testament, um, particularly with the rich young ruler, because if we were to look at this kind of list of sins that he gives uh, here, um, uh, um, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, um, for those uh, who, uh, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, that's literally stealers of men, um, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Just like Jesus does in that encounter with the uh, rich young ruler, he reads out the second table of the law, um, minus coveting. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't mention coveting. Um, but these kinds of, you know, the second table of law. Uh, and, and he's pointing these things out because they're like, yeah, all those things, <laughs> we got, we're good. Um, they don't see themselves as violators of any of these statutes. They don't see um, themselves as, as standing under judgment, whereas Paul does. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. Um, you know, I led to people's death. I am the worst of sinners. And that's the kind of heart attitude um, a true teacher of the law has versus a false teacher. A true teacher of the law, um, again, uh, notice how we're kind of establishing principles. What, how do we recognize false doctrine um, from true doctrine? Or how do we recognize a true teacher versus a false teacher, false teacher, or a true son um, from a false son. Well, a true son uh, understands that this law stuff condemns them. <laughs> um, it's not just there to condemn others, that it, it, it shows them their need um, for forgiveness. Um, the other thing, um, to go back, um, to this idea, the kind of center point um, uh, or the true purpose. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So, you know, as we look, what, you know, what's the purpose of the instruction? You know, what, what's the reason? Um, and, and with thinking about, about, about ministry, that they have a reason for why they, they're bringing something in. Um, I, I've got lots of pet peeves. This is what happens when you bring a seminary. Um, you know, uh, it took me literally a decade to be able to listen to someone else's sermon <laughs> after going to seminary. Because I was kind of, it was what, you know, I'd sit and I'd be, you know, you know, to give you the list of everything that was wrong. And that was a horrible, horrible <laughs> thing to happen. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like, how doctors are the worst patients. Like, they, you know, I know too much. <laughs> um, uh, and so it took me a long time. But there's still, uh, so that, that was one of my major struggles, um, having gone to seminary and then not become a minister myself, was, was sitting under someone else's preaching. Um, but I still have pet peeves, and, and this is more than a pet peeve. Um, it drives me nuts, um, absolutely cray-cray. Um, if I go... And listen to something, and the minister spends most of the sermon talking about something other than the scripture passage before it. Um, once heard a sermon, um, it was right when I can't remember which of the Lord of the Rings movies came out about kind of the gospel according to Tolkien, and then at the end of the sermon, he realized he hadn't actually read the scripture passage. Yeah, <laughs> that was not a happy day for me. Or the time that I heard a sermon series on Esther where, it, where one of the main points was how um, uh, a woman should dress simply and yet elegantly, you know, flat dress, string of pearls. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you know, or, you know, the kind of, um, you know, speculation, like, you know, um, you know, and we can think about all the different kinds of, of ministries you know, we've encountered over the years. I've made predictions about through my study of the scriptures, I've done this calculation when the world's going to come to end, you know, next year, next week, next month. Um, 
those are, uh, you know, just to give a couple examples, you know, from my own experience of, you know, all those things, you know, they might be interesting. Um, you know, they might have some, you know, like I like, I like Tolkien, I like the Lord of the Rings, but that's not what the point of the Sunday sermon is supposed to be. <laughs> that Sunday sermon is supposed to be um, showing my need for Jesus Christ and showing me the wonders of the glory of, of Christ's gospel. Um, the aim is to be, um, the aim is love. <laughs> you know, showing me love, um, building up um, my heart and conscience and faith. Um, and if it's not doing that, if that's not the purpose, then it's vain, it's empty. You know, it's, it, it might be interesting. Like I'm channeling all the things I write on student papers. That's an interesting fact. <laughs> I'm not sure it's an important fact, right? Um, it, it doesn't fit the purpose. Um, and, and so we, we need, he's reminding Timothy, don't forget your purpose. Don't forget why you're there. And again, it's easy for people in positions of leadership to be caught up by the fact they're in a position of leadership, you know? Um, uh, you know what's the old saying, you know? power corrupts. <laughs> you know, you put people in position of authority, and their temptation is to, to more and more do as, like the saying, you know, pat myself on the, isn't God glad to have me on his team? Um, and that's not the kind of, of pastor that Paul wants Timothy to be. You know? um, he wants Timothy to be a pastor, um, to be a minister who keeps his eye what the true aim, um, what the true purpose of the law is there. You know, and, as, and if you think back to our study, you know, when we studied the law in the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, the, the law is this schoolmaster that drives us to Christ. You know, it's, it's there to show us, you know, this is what's required of you. You can't do it yourself. You need someone else. You need another you need an alien righteousness to give to us um, and to find this ground. You know, you need something outside of yourself in order to stand before this holy, holy, holy God. It, it can't be your faithfulness to the law. Um, the law is good. The law is important. You know, the law shows us our sin, um, but it, it, it's not supposed to be used to create you know, a ranking uh, <laughs> of we're, we're going to line up Redeemer Presbyterian Church from the least sinful to the most sinful. That's not what it stands for. Um, and in that ranking, by the way, I'm going to be sinful. Because <laughs> that's the way, you know, when we do those kinds of rankings, it's like, again, to move into my other line of work, you know, like any time you, you get a kind of progressive um, sense of history that, Know, history is progressing, moving forward. It's whatever's now is the is the epitome. <laughs> Nobody sees themselves. Yeah, we're really backward, and <laughs> we hope to get there. No, it's always you know history's been building up to me, <laughs> um, and that's the way. That's the temptation. That's what these false leaders are embodying. That that they're the pinnacle. Um, and next week, when we come back to the second half of this chapter we'll see that a true Christian leader has the opposite understanding. They don't, don't see themselves as the best in the church. They see themselves as the worst. And, and in that position, they're in a position to do the, what the true aim of this um, community is, is to glorify God, to give God the praise and glory. As we'll see in the second half of the chapter next week, Paul breaks after talking about himself and his own sinfulness, he breaks out into this litany of praise to God because that's the point. When we think of ourselves, the, we see our sinfulness that drives us to our understanding our need for a Savior. If we don't see ourselves as needy, if we don't see ourselves in that position of needing God, we don't give God the glory that God deserves. We don't give God the honor that God deserves. We don't acknowledge what God has done for us. 
we have to come at it from this position of humility. All right. Well, let me uh, close with some prayer. Um, we'll, uh, got questions? We can. We'll be dealing with this exact same subject next week. Um, this this first half is kind of giving the negative. You know what a, a false teacher is like. A false teacher is one who applies the law to other people but not themselves. Um, who are causing dissension in the church. And then next week he's going to focus on what a true leader is. Um, and a true um, minister of the gospel is one who sees um, himself as a servant. Gracious God, we do thank you for your church, for Christ, who is the head of that church, um, who um, led by example as the head, um, not coming to be served, but to serve, to give his life in service. And that is the model of Christian ministry, that you should seek um, um, pastors who have a similar understanding of what the true hierarchy is, where the last um, should be first, and the first should consider himself least of all. And as we uh, study um, Paul's instructions to Timothy and um, dealing with authority, um, as he instructs uh, Timothy as one who... um, will be exercising authority over others, who are correcting others, that the charge is not to forget what the purpose of the church is. Um, The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. The purpose of the church is to direct sinners to their Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, The the church isn't a um, collection of the just. It's a hospital the sick and needy who gather um, at the feet of their good physician, Jesus Christ. And as we search for a pastor, we we pray that you would give us um, this sort of minister over who comes um, not to be um, worshipped and adored, but to lead us in worship and adoration of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Even now, help us to express that worship as we gather in the coming hours. Uh, Help us to uh, sing your praises, um, to sing them not out of an outward sense of obligation and duty, but from an inward need to to let out the the good news that, uh, that we feel in our hearts. Um, Give us that kind of worship that springs from um, inside and doesn't come from um, outward rule or imposition. Uh, Help us to worship and praise you in spirit and truth and for Christ our Savior. Amen.